Take two. It's Kandasha's okay. Beetle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Beatles Revolution number 50. This isn't just about classic rock or classic Beatles. It's classical Beatles. Classical music and Beatles, and this all comes together because I'm a big classical music fan. When people say, you know, do you like new music, uh, old music? I like great music, whether it was written in the 1600s or this morning. And the Beatles synthesized all of it. That simply changed the world. And a lot of times on the air, I'll reference classical music, and we talk about outliers, about people from Mozart to these kids from Liverpool and Tom D'Angelo from Staten Island sent me this email that said, Kent, more, 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 more about Mozart and Beethoven, perhaps even a podcast? I'm interested in classical music and opera because of rock connections like the Beatles, Queen, and Jethro Tull, with music appreciation classes being cut. You have access to a young audience on Breakfast with the Beatles, listening with their parents. You'll be performing a great service. By uh, Forget about service. It's just fun. Tom, but you really put the bug in my ear. Let's do a podcast about the Beatles and classical music and the connection. It just so happens, just so happens that one of my dearest friends in the world, somebody I work with, somebody who grew, we actually grew up with, little did we know, we were playing baseball against each other in high school, and we kick their butt like every time, I got to tell you that. Uh, my friend, Tony Rudell, joins me on Ken Dasha's Beatles Revolution. Ken, Tony, it, welcome it, to it, Rock and thanks. Roll. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not a welcome. I've experienced it before, but it is, it is nice to be in this, in this genre. And you did kick our butts every time we played. Poly prep, man. Poly prep uh, baseball. You, you, you beat us, and I admit to that. But, yeah, but he uh, had a good fastball. He could bring it. But I could bring it back in the day. Um, but yeah, so this classical, classical rock First, thing. let me explain why your, your background. That's a good idea. This is very simple. Tony Rudell's dad, Julius Rudell, is simply one of the foremost conductors. How many operas did your dad conduct? He had in his repertory 175 operas. And, and about how many performances did he do? In his career, he did about 7,500 performances. 7,500. Kennedy Center. He was the first artistic director of the Kennedy Center. He was the music director of... Uh, Buffalo Philharmonic of Caramore Festival. He was the artistic director and executive director in those days. They called a general director of the New York City Opera. Conducted 280 performances at the Met. So yeah, he was he was uh, pretty into classical music. So uh, Tony, as a son, like obviously couldn't escape it in any way. Yeah. You grew up with it. You uh, took violin lessons with uh, Yo-Yo Ma's Yo-Yo father Ma. was my first teacher, and I you know I fell in love with classical music early on. And have made a career, most of my career has been in and around the classical music field and produced records, won a Grammy Award in classical music. So, I, you know, I know it pretty well. Okay. So I could read up on all this. You know, everything's online now. But I'd rather have your take on it because you know classical music the way I know rock and mm-hmm. the Beatles. And what I've always said and shared on the air is that there's such amazing musical talent. What we hear in classical, in jazz, in rock, are the best of the best. And in that world of the best of the best, 
there's a shelf above the best of the best with the amazing composers that we have. I, I love listening to Schumann. Dvorak absolutely moves me. Franz Josef Haydn, I'm listening to so much Haydn. And yet, the words Mozart and Beethoven, Gershwin, 20th century music, that's what the world connected to and went, see that? That's great. Right. That's the greatest thing ever. And the public is the judge. And it's the same thing. The Rolling Stones are the greatest rock band ever. They've been touring, playing live, and killing it since 1964. And yet, the Beatles stand on a shelf above them. So, you know, you, you start ranking these things. And, and the amazing thing is, and, and to put it, to flip it on its head for a moment, in classical music, great classical composers, the ones you mentioned, the Mozarts, the Beethovens, the Haydns, those who have really sustained for 300 some of them Bach, you know, 350 years, um, they had their bad days too. Let, you know, let's, let's not just, you know, say. Oh, yeah. They, there was some junk they composed too, but the overall output of what they did was different. And, and usually if you look at those composers especially, uh, you take Bach, he took the sound of Baroque music and that early sound, and he made it more complicated, more interesting, more challenging for the ear. A sort of a a richer flavor, if you will, if you want to put it in those terms. Mozart did the same thing. He took basic entertainment. And, and that's the other thing, is, is people put classical music on this pedestal. It's entertainment. You Thank know, you for saying that. Mozart was an entertainer. He, you know, when he wrote his 23rd piano concerto, he never he didn't bother to write the part of the piano down. He just wrote the orchestra part and said, I'll make the rest up as we go along. Really? Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> And at the opening concert, he kind of just said, okay, well, I'm going to play it my way. And you can't be wrong. <laughs> you know, there are no wrong notes if you're writing it as you go. Um, but that was, those were minds that were, you know, those were the geniuses. Those were the, the people who took it to a level where you, you really kind of look at it and go, okay, that's pretty cool. And, and they changed it. Beethoven changed the symphony. I mean, you know, his first two symphonies, one and two, are very much like a late Mozart symphony. And then you hit number three, and that second movement with those incredible sustained notes and the funeral aspect of it, and suddenly it's like, oh, that's just not entertainment. That's a depth of emotion. And you talked about how it connects to you on emotion on an emotional level. Right. That's the way music should connect. And the great Beatles songs, you know, I've, I've always been a Beatles fan. There's some I like more than others. As we all do. Right. And there's some that I listen to and I go, well, look at the classical influence in that. I mean, the one I always think of is Piggies, which is... The harpsichord. The harpsichord and, and, and the strings in the background. And it, it's as basic Baroque. I mean, if you took out the, the words, you'd have... Which is could be handled. Right. I mean, you just That's a harpsichord with harpsichord, a little dulcimer and a yeah, thing and it's tambourine. You some strings and you got it and you're done. Um, Good point. So... You look at all the, the, the great music. Um, what makes great music is music that connects to people on an emotional, on an entertainment level, whatever level it is. And and my big problem with the classical world is it needs to be important. No, it doesn't. It needs to be fun. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you. We're, thank we're, you. Thank we're you. in the fun business. And, you know. There's I, a young uh, pianist who has become a dear friend, Harriet Stubbs who I've told you about. She's just signed her first record deal. She's got a classical album coming out on Sony. And we talk about that, about the joy of playing. And she said, you know, after a concert, that guy who walks up to me 
with food in his beard and, you know, mustard stains on his tie and says, I found it a curious choice of what you did for the second movement. Right. And ultimately, it proved interesting because I once heard Cassine play it. She said, I hate that. You know, so you know what my favorite compliment is after a show? The woman who walks up to me and said, that last piece, that was so pretty. What's yeah. that? She said, I'll sit with that person for an hour, sure. buy them drinks, and say, well, listen. The difference between those two audiences, and, and in classical radio, we deal with it all the time. The first one is the guy who wants to tell you how much he knows, and the second one wants to know how much you know. And there's a big difference Hate between them. Hate that stuff. But you get them in classic rock, too. I mean, oh, when I host the, the Fest for Beatles fans all the time, and what I usually get in the hallways, there's autographs and pictures, but there's, I bet I can stump you with something. Like, this isn't a game show. That's it's. You, right. If you think it's about right. that, you've missed the point. You missed the Where yeah. uh, the guy says, "My friend knows everything. Ask him a question he doesn't know. Why? What's well, that's, the point? Of yeah, that? there's no prize for I know more than you, and that's true of jazz. It's true of classical, and certainly of rock. Does it move you emotionally? Right. Well, and and you know, people have said to me, "Oh, I'm, I don't know how to listen to classical music," and I'm like, well, "Do you, you know, know how to listen to the Beatles?" There's the well, and I always look at them and I go, "Well, you know, there's no secret handshake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just got to sit down and put it on and let it affect you." I mean, I remember the first time I went to see the opera Tristan and Isolde, and all that went in through my head was, "This is six hours long. <laughs> this 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 is this is like Gone with the Wind twice." Right. You know, and I remember thinking as Act One was dragging on, I'm approaching this wrong. I'm trying to understand it all and listen to it all and grasp it all. What I should just be doing is let it wash over me. Right. And from that moment on, I let it wash over me, and it was a beautiful thing because I didn't try to figure it out. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience because of that. But you, you got to listen to things differently. But the point that I make to people when they say to me, well, you know, you grow up with it, so you understand it. You don't have to understand it. Have you, you ever go out for a great meal? If you don't cook and you go out for a great meal, do you sit there and go, I can't enjoy this steak because I don't understand it. I don't know what the reduction was. Right. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Did you like it? Did it, it taste did good? Did it taste good? Well, classical music is the same thing. Beatles are the same thing. Did it taste good? Was it good? I mean, there's some stuff the Beatles did for me in in some of their more experimental things where I'm like, okay, that's just like, you're playing around. I get it. Yeah, it's it not, was experimental. It's not great music. But truly in the sense of the word. Yeah. And to that point, when we talk about Beethoven changing the number of movements of his symphony. Well, yeah. I mean, and putting the, putting the movements together and doing it. It's and like there were rules, uh, yeah. and they said to him, hey, you're breaking the rules. Yeah, and he so said, what? Whose rules? Whose rules? This is my well, and, symphony. And Mahler, Mahler was the classic at that. You know, he, he decided when Mahler conducted the opera Don Giovanni in Vienna and he was head of the opera house, he decided that the last scene shouldn't be played. So he just edited out Mozart's last scene of the whole opera. <laughs> and uh, everyone said, oh, that's, that's sacrilege. And he says, no, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Did you enjoy the opera or not? Right. That's yeah. how it was tonight. Yeah, that's exactly. how I played it tonight. If you don't like it, don't come back. It's interesting. Certain types of music come in and out of your head, into your mind. Um, people always say, what's your favorite Beatle album? What's your fa and I said, it can change an hour from now. Right. I'm just answering what's in my head right now, this song or this album. And it's the same for composers. I've come around, and this year has been a Mozart year for me. 
as I'm just rediscovering it again mm -hmm. and listening. It doesn't mean I don't like anything. For years, it was all about Beethoven. You know, I say to you, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. And I'm hearing the joy. And the one thing we talked about when I read about Mozart, and you gave me some great books, was as a child, you know, they send him off to his first teacher. And basically, I'm, I'm shortening the story greatly, but the teacher sends him back home and said, just give the kid a sandwich once in a while, make sure the piano's tuned, because there's nothing I can teach him. He's, yeah, no, I mean, he was unteachable. So, and, you know, how he got there, I don't know. So I get to ask Paul McCartney the ultimate fanboy question once, and he, he was up at back at the old station visiting Scott Muni, and hmm. I said, I know this, is, this comes off as the ultimate, like, fan stupid question, like Chris Farley, but I said, but seriously, Paul, point of fact, you never had any formal music training, you never had any formal vocal singing. You listened to records. Your dad played the piano on holidays and weekends. I said, have you just found in your whole life that you could pick up a musical instrument, just screw around with it for a while, and somehow you were able to play it at a fairly high level? I know you started with guitar, but piano, grand piano. He said, John always joked you were the best drummer in the Beatles. You switched to bass when they, they invented the synthesizer. And they put one in the studio, and you said, okay, hey, here it is. I said, do you ever find you, you just play it? You don't know why or how, but you can play it. And he looked at me. He just said, you know, no one's ever asked me that. Um, yeah, guess so. And I said, you know, it's a good thing you didn't go work on the docks. That's and right. he laughed, and he goes, yeah. But you, you, I could study from here till the last day on earth. I'm, there are things I can do and things I can't do. No, but uh, these guys, they function, you know, every, probably if you asked him to uh, go build a wall, he wouldn't know how to build anything. So, you know, right. everybody has a different set of skills. He's, he's, not a, he's not a great carpenter, probably. My, Although, who knows? Well, my, fav my Gershwin story, it's, you know the Maxi Rosenzweig story? No. Jewish family, Lower East Side. What got you into piano? Maxi Rosenzweig. And I'm passing by and I hear this music. And we're teenagers. And Maxie is playing the piano, and all these girls are around him, giggling and singing and touching him, and he's playing this ragtime stuff. To hell with that. If this little idiot can learn to play the piano, thanks to him, we have Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Because the motivation is always some... It wasn't, I was 12, and a dream came to me no. on the wings of angels. No. I want, I want girl. I'm 13, and I want to get girls... But, this idiot plays the piano, I can learn the piano. You know, Billy Joel, who was completely classically trained, always says that. He switched to playing non-classical because girls liked it more. Simple enough? Yeah, it's good reason. You know, and, and, and I get it. It, it. But music, you know, I, it's been attributed to a hundred different musicians, but there's that great line. They're really, at the end of the day, only two kinds of music. Yeah, you got absolutely. good music and you got bad music, you know. And I find that to be totally true. A hundred percent. I mean, there is bad classical music. Trust me. We don't play a lot of it on the air. And there's bad rock music. Yeah, and we don't play a lot of that on exactly. the air. Exactly. So Something may not be your cup of tea. My favorite question on the air is, why are you playing X when nobody likes it, when you could be playing Y that everybody likes? Right. And the answer is, so you think, it, there's some weird thing about that you think your taste is, is the median. Like, you sure. cannot accept that there's something that we would play that you don't like that other people would. And I don't think it applies in any other world it, of art. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, they're, they're probably... There's this performance aspect of, of music where it's like, well, you know, why, and radio especially, where it's, well, you could be playing this, which 
makes my life better, but they're not thinking in, in, in our case, especially, uh, you know, in, when, in, in, in your case, where there are hundreds of thousands of other people listening, it's quite an ego to say, this is what you should be playing, because that's what I want, when there are hundreds of thousands of people listening to what you are playing. But there, there is no right answer to any of that stuff. The, 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 the beauty of what we get to do is we get to play this great music. And I don't care. I mean, as you know, I have a pretty decent classic rock music collection. I grew up on that stuff. And I'll tell you, there were some days in my house growing up with the father of the classical conductor, and I'm running out to buy the new LP by the Beatles or uh, Cat Stevens or Elton John or when Billy Joel came around. I had to have Piano Man before everybody else had it because I heard that song on the radio, on, on NEWFM, right. actually. And, uh, you know, it was, gee, Tony, what is that you're listening to? And uh, So like, that brings me to a big question. Well, your dad, the classical conductor, arranger, doing opera after opera, what did he think of the Beatles? Well, that's interesting. Um, I don't think he listened to them a lot in the 60s. He was uh, running five companies and conducting 200 right. performances a year. Um, I do know that he, when when Jesus Christ Superstar was on Broadway, he had to go see it, and and because it was a rock opera in that sense, and he was always curious about what was new, and he was not deeply impressed by it. I recall that. Um, he thought it was crap, didn't he? No, I, I I don't think he went quite that far. I don't think he thought it was musically very rich. And and having heard it again recently, <laughs> I've come around to that point of view as well. But uh, about, I'd guess, seven or eight years, he died four years ago. So I would guess about seven or eight years b- before he died, he came to visit me, and I picked him up at the train. And I had that great Beatles, remember, the number one compilation? Yes. Which goes chronologically through all their number right. one hits. And I had it in the CD player. And he the, got by it. the way, the, the album that everyone said... Why would they make something this stupid? Nobody yeah. needs it. Nobody wants it. Everybody's got it. And then it went to number one for the entire summer. Right. Yeah. I had it. I went and got it. And it was it was terrific. And I had it in my car CD player. And he got in the car. And, and usually when he'd get in the car, I'd immediately switch to something classical. And I didn't. And I was about on the fourth or fifth song. So you're, what are you, 1965 by the fifth song, roughly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I said, I can change that if you want, Dad. He goes, no, leave it on. I want to listen to it. And what happened, of course, is we drove around for a while, and you suddenly hear the progression in their style. And the, the difference between the average listener and a classical musician listening, someone with his set of ears especially, is... He's not only listening to the totality of it, he's understanding what's going on in the background, the parts. Now, remember, this is a man who could look at a score with a 70-piece orchestra playing, a full chorus, and three soloists, and condense it all in his head instantly. Right. So listening to the backgrounds on the Beatles was not Too complex. that challenging for him. <clears throat> But we listened for quite a while, and I think we got up through um, about 1968 or 69, so right towards the end. I don't think we got to Let It Be, but we were almost there. And we got to where we are going, and I turned it off, and I said, you didn't say a word that whole time. I said, what did you think? He said, his first comment was, it's amazing how they progressed, how they deepened, how they got 
more musicality into each thing, how they stole from more and more of other sources, you know. Who is it that said uh, an amateur steal, uh, an amateur borrows a professional steals? Right. You know, and they were professionally stealing great music. And here's what the thing that changed when you think of the time, but the the speed at which their right. learning curve was. It's the one thing every every group of musicians gets better. We can say the different in styles of Beethoven's Ninth Symphonies. You right. see how it changed and progressed. Correct. But we went from she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Who's just 17, you know what I mean. I saw her standing there, whoo, I want to hold your hand, to Eleanor Rigby right. in what, a fortnight. Yeah. In, yeah. And, and a producer, like your dad, in the sense of he's a great arranger, and he takes these guys. He's the comedy producer. George Martin's the guy who works with Peter Sellers mm-hmm. on The Goon Show. Because they're Liverpool, they're chimney sweeps. We're not going to give them one of our real producers. We'll let the guy in Studio 2, in the dirty studio, work with these kids. And he says, what if we just do a string arrangement? Right. He says the most popular group in the history of the world at this point, why don't you guys lay out? Do, just do the vocals. Paul sing it, you do the harmonies. I'm just going to write a string arrangement for you. And it's like a hand grenade goes off that changes the world of pop music. There was always strings. Sinatra, fly me to... There's always strings. There's always a harp. What? But in a pop record, to not have a drummer? Yeah. Are you kidding? Think about it. You know, it's... You and I have talked about this. The, The problem in our business is that we separate things into categories. The fact is the evolution of music is all intertwined. You can't separate Gershwin from Irving Berlin, from Kurt Weill, from the people who wrote the song, from Nelson Riddle. It's all of the same, you know, there's a very limited language in music. Twelve notes. And it's it's what you do with that language that is the creative part. And you see these great musicians, it doesn't matter what name you slap on it. When When you listen to the Beatles... Or, or, you know, the other, I mean, your your point about how quickly they evolved. Think about Beethoven symphonies, how quickly he evolved. One and two are about as close to Mozart as you can get. Three is another world. Three is into another planet. It It is the Eleanor Rigby of the Beethoven nine symphonies. Now, when you get to the nine and he says, I got this crazy idea. What if I threw a chorus in here just for fun? You know, <laughs> uh, you're gonna have a choral piece in a symphony. Yeah, yes. well, well, yeah, yeah. I think we need to make it an ode to joy. Oh, that's cool. That is, you know, that is the string quartet appearing suddenly, right. or or a backup orchestra doing something, you know, different. And and you see these things. It's the people who are willing to take a chance and say this is different. Gershwin was was a guy who took chances and made things different. You know, it's funny because I, I always link Gershwin and Kurt Weill because they were contemporaries. Right. And Kurt Weill, by the way, when you think Mac the Knife, right. folks, that's Kurt that's Weill. That's Kurt Weill, right. Mac the Knife, which, um, you know, has been turned into Ella Fitzgerald did it. Um, Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren. Louis Armstrong. They Every, named somebody. Done it. Right. But Weil was also a very serious German composer who wrote two symphonies and a violin concerto and very heavy, hard music to listen to. (laughs) 
My father once was doing an interview about Kurt Vile, and, and they said, well, what do you think he saw in Gershwin? Because Vile said he loved Gershwin. My father said, you don't understand. Kurt Vile spent his life trying to be George Gershwin, <laughs> and George Gershwin spent his life trying to be Kurt Vile. And they met in the middle. And they met somewhere in the middle, and they both wrote great Broadway shows. I mean, you know, Kurt Vile wrote Lost in the Stars and Street Scene, which were huge Broadway hits. Right, Three Penny and, Opera. And Three Penny Opera, of course, is the big one. And then... You know, Gershwin with Rhapsody in Blue and An American in Paris took the American orchestra experience into a different realm. But that's what great music does. Is it, it doesn't just stay at the margins. It says, what if I break through the margin and what if I change that? So look what happens in rock and roll. The Stones, who have been chasing the Beatles, since the Beatles wrote their first song for them, I Want to Be Your Man, and huh. everybody's following the Beatles through this path that nobody's been on before. There's always been, like you said, there's always been strings... There's always been a harp. There's always been a uh, percussion. There's been some brass. Right, but it's never been used the way George Martin Correct. and the Beatles are using it. So now the Stones need an orchestra. Now the Stones use the London Bach Choir to open up You Can't Always Get right. What You Want and go, wait, wait, okay, wait. Well, and we that need, solo we need some... French horn at the right. beginning of, um, of You Can't Always Get right. What You Want. So now we're, 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 don't you know, Beatles, don't stop short. Or Mick is going to, like, his face is going to go into your back. And it sounds like I'm putting down the stones. I love that music. It's great stuff. But somebody's got to do it first. And George Harrison once said, you know, listen, if if we hadn't come along, somebody would have done it. And that's not true. No. The, the, there's a reason that Beethoven's Beethoven and the Beatles are the Beatles. And what all of their contemporaries said to me, uh, one of my favorite singer songwriters of the era gary brooker procol harem he said i'm a classical pianist and i'm kind of writing rock kind of things with these elegiac kind of piano pieces and my friend keith reed is writing this poetry and everybody keeps telling us he said from my music teacher to my manager to every record company i go to look pick something are you a rock band yeah. or are you a classical pianist pick one and do it and you go but i'm kind of here in the middle he goes, there's nothing in the middle. Yeah. And he said, quote, when Eleanor Rigby came on the radio, <laughs> suddenly yeah. I, I go, wait a minute, what's that? What do you, what's that? That's a rock song with a string quartet. Now I go back into the record company. I said, I'm, li I'm like Eleanor Rigby. And they went, oh, okay, here's a record. Can you make music like that? And we get White as Shade of Pale, quoting Bach. Right. And he said, they open. it's not just that I like the Beatles or appreciate the Beatles. They opened up a door that was nailed, fused, screwed shut, that I was able to walk through and Genesis and everybody else could go oh. because once the best group in the world says it's okay, now we can sign well, 10 of you. you. You look at the list, and, and you play them every day, of classic rock stars and great musicians who are influenced, trained, or whatever by classical. Completely. I mean, you got Keith Emerson... Yep. You have all the guys in um Yes. In Yes. You have Genesis. All, Genesis. Now there's another one I can't think. Moody Blues. Oh God, yeah. They were well, all classic. You know that the story about how their famous album of Days of Future Past, it was just to show off quadraphonic right. to show off consoles. And they said, We want you to record Afternoon of a Form. We want you to record Debussy. Right. And their producer, God bless him, an American, goes, No, 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 no. We we don't need you doing Debussy. Why don't you guys go off for a week or two and write something that we can record in, like, fancy with a lot of microphones? 
And it, sometimes it takes somebody just looking at it going, change. That's, that's a hamburger. No, it's not. It's a ha- and they recorded one of the greatest things that anybody ever heard. Yeah, but but the the list of these musicians. I mean, Billy Joel is a perfect example. Billy uh, recorded. I mean, his song Captain Jack. Yeah. When I talked to him about it, he said it's anthemic, and I I got the idea of the the end of that from Handel. And, did he? Did he yeah. Really? Oh yeah. No, it, it's the the, anth- the big Handel choral anthemic thing. If you think of the end of Captain Jack. And you lay overlay on that some of the choruses from Messiah, or the sound of of the uh, um, water music of Handel. You see what he means. Oh, I get it. It's a big friggin' baroque thing, except it's you know. Hey, he da, throw- da, 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 da. If you didn't have the lyrics, you'd go, yeah, that could be Handel. He throws in the cacciatore and the saber dance yeah, at the, the end of Vienna. Dance da, da, his influences are, are, are hugely. I mean, there's some Gilbert and Sullivan in some of his stuff. There's uh, it, it, the classical influences there are particularly deep. Um, I mean, know. one of the interesting when it crosses over where I wanted to go is you know what did the classical world now that the Beatles are in this world, and look the snobs are going to hate anything. But in we, you know, Leonard Bernstein, as a kid, he's the one screaming. There's YouTube videos. I'm going to put up a link mm-hmm. of him explaining to the world how cool the Beatles oh, are. Oh, absolutely. Going, listen to this, listen to this. And he was all about promoting music. I happen to make classical music, but I'm also writing show tunes and Candide. But it's music. Check out what the Beatles are doing and why it works for us. And I'm sure the snobs but, hate it. But let me tell you something about the snobs and, and how... When the circumstances are right and you break down the natural resistance, how the Beatles break through, and I'll tell you the story. You know that I am one of the, it's not a thing I'm proud of, but unfortunately I'm one of the eyewitnesses to the shooting of John Lennon. I was, Tony lives on the Upper West Side. Right. At the time I lived across the street from the Dakota and I was coming home. I still remember the concert at Alice Tully Hall and... Unfortunately, I saw that the event happen. And I was on the air at WQXR in those days. I was had a programming at QXR. And what I decided to do was take my show on Saturday night and do a tribute to John Lennon. Beautiful. And for my first hour, I played some classical things that I thought he might have appreciated. And it was just intuition. You know, sad, quiet, intimate, but beautiful. And for the second hour, I said to the WQXR audience, remember, this is 1980. I'm going to take this hour and do nothing but play Beatles songs on WQXR. I didn't know you did this. I did this. Wow. And, I mean, it was late at night, and I figured I'm going to get a lot of complaints when I come into the office Monday morning. Well, let me tell you, I got hundreds of letters. There was no email in 1980. Right. All of them positive. I'm and amazed. I got, I got one telegram, which I will never forget. It came from a man named Francis Robinson. Francis Robinson was head of public relations at the Metropolitan Opera. He was as elegant a human being as has ever walked the face of this earth. And I'd known Francis Robinson growing up in our house. He was a frequent dinner guest. And he sent me a telegram, which I received Monday at lunchtime. And it said, Dear Tony, I heard your show Saturday night after I got home from the opera. I had never heard a Beatles song before. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. 
It's the greatest compliment you'll ever now, get. You know, you think about that and you go, wow, <laughs> you never. But people, it was, first of all, it's far easier to be isolated in 1980 than it is today. Correct. And people in the classical world tended to lock themselves in. And I, again, let me flip that on, the, on its head. People who love classic rock and say, well, I can't listen to classical music, you're missing one of the great experiences. I mean, somebody I know once analogized to food and said, look, most rock music is like a great hamburger. I love my hamburgers. Yeah. But every now and then I want a filet mignon, and that's classical. And okay, not all classical is filet mignon. There's a lot of ground chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. But there's a lot of it that if you just pop it on, and you don't even realize you're listening to classical. That's what bothers me. You go to a movie or you're watching a TV commercial and you hear a classical piece in the background, you don't even notice it, but it's there. It's true of classical and of jazz. You know how many times at a dinner party you have friends over and I'm playing, I have a jazz mix for, you know, just a party. I have a classical mix and a jazz mix. And when somebody I know says, I hate jazz, and somebody will say, this is beautiful. What, what is this? And I'll say, oh, it's, that's Miles Davis. Right. He's a jazz trumper. And somebody said, this is jazz? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Goes, but what they mean is, they, and this is a quote of a friend, uh, who goes, jazz is all that bleep, blop, bloop stuff. Like, no, that's a style of jazz. Right. And as that co-opted the world of jazz, that sent the average person, you know, you wanna, you, if you want to say that Rhapsody in Blue is jazz, go ahead. It's jazz. whatever you want. You want to call jazz? It's jazz. It, it, it's the line we said before. There are two kinds of music, right? And good music and bad music. <laughs> exactly. And as these guys, it's one of my favorite stories. McCartney has told it a bunch of times. He's in a cab in London, and he gets in the cab and he notices that the cab driver has sheet music. He didn't remember if it was Mendelssohn or it was Haydn or what it was, and he says to the cab driver, "Hey, what you got there then?" And the cab driver recognized, I mean, it's Paul McCartney. It's the late 60s. He goes, oh, this isn't for you, son. This is the highbrow stuff. He goes, hey, it's music. I make music. I'd like to see it. He goes, not for you. And in a nutshell, Paul just summed up what's wrong with somebody. To me, when somebody says that, you're not really a music fan. You and I are music fans. We're fans of great music. Uh, There was one time at a barbecue, a famous uh, jazz uh, uh, lecturer is the right word. A teacher, famous jazz uh, teacher, uh, lecturer. He he was he's in the world. He's somebody who was important, and said to me, "You like jazz? Yes. Do you know jazz?" I said, "Actually, I think I, I would say I do." He says, "Have you ever heard, you know, Count Basie, the, the Kansas City days? Have you ever heard the Louis Armstrong and the Hot Five? Yes. Well, if you know the Hot Five, how the hell can you play that rock crap?" And I said. Have you ever heard Mozart or Beethoven? He said, yes. I said, well, then how can you play that jazz yeah, crap? Right. He goes, yeah. We're, there's no brick wall from, you know, from terpsichore music and harpsichord to the Red Hot Chili Peppers no. today. If you like it, it's great music. It's, they're all intertwined. I mean, one of the, the greatest times I ever had was talking to Benny Goodman, who had his clarinet next to him while we were talking. That's kind of cool. And just decided to play some, picked it up and started playing that incredible Mozart clarinet quintet, the solo really? clarinet part. Yeah. We, 
when I owned the record label, he gave us all his Yale jazz recordings. So we, we were meeting with him. We made one classical record with him. But we were sitting there, and he picked it up, and he said, you know the theme and variations. If you want to get, put a point of reference on it, that theme and variations is the theme and variations that runs through the final um, episodes of MASH. Nice. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, so there's your point. It's the most one of the most incredibly haunting pieces Mozart ever wrote, and it's and he picked it up and played it. And uh, if I can remember the melody, it the bum 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 ba da 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 dum bum 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 ba da da dum, and he stopped. And man was like eighty five years old at this point, right? And he winks at me, and then he starts riffing on it as a jazz melody. And that's when you realize. No, it's all just music. <laughs> Don't put it in a bucket. It's all just good it's music. It's all just music. And those are the guys who understood that. And the Beatles understood that. I be, I, well, I know from having see, read interviews, Paul McCartney listens to classical. He, listen, he wrote the Liverpool Oratorio. Right. He's written the ballet. What, what did you think of the Liverpool Oratorio? So the, the problem with the Liverpool Oratorio, I thought, is he. it's one of those situations where he bit off more than he should have. An oratorio has a different level of complexity than, you know, I would have loved to see, I'd like to see him write a, a classical song cycle. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, a guy like Sting, for example, who... Again, I've had an opportunity to talk to extensively and, and watch work. Sting Sting was is a phenomenal bass guitarist, right? Practices Bach every single day. Nice. Loves Bach. He loves John Dowland, sixteenth century English composer. Not a you know, not a brand name. You don't right. go down the street and buy a lot of John Dowland. But you, the way he does it and he sings it and it's pretty cool. Now my father got to work with him. On Broadway, they did Three Penny Opera, the Kurt Vile together. And my father was convinced that he could get Sting to record. They want, he wanted him to do Mahler songs with him, which would have been the freakiest album ever made. Oh, but been they wild. never got around to uh, doing it. So it's interesting as we talk about these connections. One last point about Beatles and classical. Sure. They have this idea. We know we're coming towards the end. It's, we ha- we, we've made. An album that we know, that's how egotistical we are at 26, 27. We're making an album that's going to change the world. We've stopped, not only have we stopped touring, we're not, we're not even the Beatles. We've, we, used, we fired the Mop Tops and became Rubber Soul Beatles. We fired them and became uh, Revolver Beatles. Now, and we're getting into classical, and now we're getting Indian instruments into it. We're bringing sitars into it. We're world music and classical coming together. And now in 67, we fire the Beatles, and we're going to be this pseudonym called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And we start a song that John Lennon starts with an acoustic guitar that just sings, I read the news today, oh boy. And we start as simply as you can, like so many Mozart pieces that I love, that starts with the simplest theme. And before you know it, you're flying through the cosmos yep. at 100 miles an hour with every instrument pulling you in rainbow colors in different ways. And that was the idea. And we get, we're going to need an orchestra. We want the end of the world. We're, the song is going to end with the end of the world. And Paul, he, he tells George, get, him, get the London film into Studio One. And he just tells them, go from your lowest note to your highest note. And you guys go from your highest to your lowest. And he always talked about how they couldn't do it. They just didn't understand the direction. And George Martin quickly had to write out some just mm-hmm. block bars 
of where to be at every point, to start with a low C, get to the F here, and they just needed a map, which is interesting. And Paulie said, I didn't think what I was asking was impossible, but maybe it was that stuffy London, you know, maybe a different orchestra could have done it for them, but they refused to play it. They said, we, he goes, it's supposed to be a cacophony. Right. Can we, and you know, Paul's whole thing is, can we try it? No, we can't try it. Well, it, it's an anathema to a classical musician to to do that. Although there's modern music written, you know, stuff. Right, that, that is that, that. That is that, but it's written, and it's it's sort of you know organized cacophony. Um, you know, it's funny. I never thought about this till just now, and I'm going to draw one last parallel for you. The way you describe day in the life begins with the solo guitar, and then the layering gets thicker and thicker, and then it accelerates. Someone once said to me, in all of opera, can you identify what you believe to be the greatest single act in all of opera? And it took me maybe 30 seconds to come up with it. Really? And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the second act of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. A, it has phenomenal music beginning to end. But let me tell you how it's structured. It begins with a solo aria which turns into a duet, which turns into a trio, which turns into a quartet, which turns into a quintet. And the act ends with six people singing, a full orchestra playing, and everything accelerated. And it is the most brilliant structure because one leads to two, leads to three, leads to four, leads to five, leads to six, leaves you hanging. What is it again? Second act of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. It's, it's, it's incredible when you, when you analyze it, but when you just listen to it and you realize, oh, I get it. He's just layering. And that's what the Beatles did in A Day in the Life. They layered and they create a sonic picture. And what it comes down to, Kenny, is that sonic pictures are what we're about. And my problem with when people say, well, I don't understand that, is like, close your eyes and listen. And what do you see? That's how you should listen to most music. And I do that with rock, and I tell people to do that with classical. And it's a perfect place to leave it. When people will hear this podcast and they'll say, so what should we listen to? You know, Ken, where do we, where do we start with classical? I don't have any. The answer is, just as somebody would say, what should I listen to in the Beatles? And we could tell them, I want to hold your hand. We could say, tomorrow never knows, or anything from Sgt. Pepper's, or the Sun King medley from Abbey Road. And the answer is pick anything and go from there. Yeah. So give me, you just gave me Mozart, second Don Giovanni. Of, no, Marriage of Figaro. Marriage of Figaro. Although Don Giovanni is amazing. So. Right. Marriage of Figaro. That's give me a Mozart piece of music and a Beethoven piece of music where you should say people start. And you can say the first movement of the fifth, the Moonlight Sonata, yeah. but where I'll do make, we start? I'll make it easier for everybody. Okay. Ready? Both those composers wrote one piece for the same combination of instruments. They both wrote quintets for piano and four wind instruments. You want to know where you start? You get a CD with the Mozart and Beethoven quintets for piano and winds, and just start there. Fair enough, my friend. You get two parallel pieces. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, it's all music, right, Tony? It's all music. It is indeed. Tony Rudell, son of the famous Julius Rudell and famous in his own right. You've written books. I didn't even plug it. Go buy Classical Music Top 40. It's been in print for 23. 
three years. And by the way, for, for real, not just because he's my buddy, it's a great classical music top 40. You want to learn what those hot hits are. That's where you start. Tony, thanks. Ken, great to be with you. Thanks.